back as a segue from that item about the underwater press conference in the Maldives we have to award our jackass of the week award to columnist Deborah J. Saunders for her October 12th column which as excerpted reads as follows mainstream news organizations have begun reporting on scientific research that suggests that global warming may not be caused by man and may not be as dire as eminent alarmists suggest. She quotes a BBC climate correspondent as saying the warmest year recorded globally was not 2008 or 2007, but 1998. Adding, by rubbing those two facts together, that for the last 11 years, we've not observed any increase in global temperatures. Well, we haven't, we haven't observed any record increase. Then it goes on to quote EPA analyst Alan Carlin, an MIT-trained economist with a degree in physics, along with Western Washington University geologist Don Easterbrook, who boldly expects that we're going to see 30 years of global cooling based on his study of ocean temperatures. Personally, I hope he's right, but I don't think he is. Anyway, she quotes a third geologist from the University of Alabama and notes that and these names are just added to a long list of scientists who see climate as a complex issue rather than an opportunity to sermonize and lecture the general public. Adding that after 11 years without record temperatures that had the seas spilling over the Statue of Liberty's toes, critics are going to have to change tactics. They're going to have to rely on real data, not failed models and scare stories, and the big lie that everyone who counts agrees with them. You know, if you want to comment on this, you might want to send an email to Deborah J. Saunders at dsaunders at sfchronicle.com. Someone did and noted that, well, the last decade apparently has been the hottest decade on record, and the fact that no particular year has eclipsed 1998 yet is hardly a refutation of the fact that things are headed in the wrong direction. Now, personally, I hope these geologists are smarter than the atmospheric scientists, but uh, I don't think so. But anyway... Let's give her the Jackass of the Week Award, Mr. McMillan. Anyway, speaking of earth sciences and predictions, article in the Sacramento Bee, October 11th, and we quote from the Bee a lot, which is okay, because, you know, the McClatchy organization is one of the few that's out there doing a pretty doggone good job. Anyway, article from uh, from week before last about how uh, when it comes to quake predictions, uh, our protection is still kind of shaky, at least from getting an alarm. The way it stands right now, uh, scientists need to continue to refine their computer models for forecasting earthquakes. They cannot make precise predictions, but can estimate the probability that a certain size quake will strike in a certain time frame. And the bad news is the chance that another Loma Prieta-sized earthquake will strike the Bay Area over the next 30 years is 63%. And oddly enough, it's not the San Andreas fault is the main concern. That's only got a 21% probability of having a, uh, an earthquake in the next 30. It's the Hayward fault. 
which has a 31% chance of a quake. Since a big shaker back in 1315, the Hayward Fault has an average interval of 138 years between strong quakes. The last big one was 141 years ago. That was in 1868, and until the 06 quake came along, it was known as the Great San Francisco Earthquake. As I mentioned some months back, I grew up right next to the earthquake fault in Fremont, and I'm delighted to note that uh, real estate developers decided that this was really not a factor in building homes right up to the edge of, I mean literally, the edge of the earthquake fault. Someday, when the roof and second story winds up in the driveway, someone's going to say, gosh, who knew? Lawyers, are you paying attention to this one? The answer is everyone. In fact, in a mystery, I've never been able to quite uh, unscramble. It turned out that the, the school for the deaf, which used to be in Berkeley, California, was moved to Fremont for seismic reasons. For some law they enacted a couple decades ago, it was too close to the Hayward Earthquake Fault. So they packed it up and they moved it down to Fremont, where it's now even closer. And no, we, we don't know who got paid off on that deal. But speaking of odd, uh, odd real estate shenanigans, curious story unfolding in the Sacramento area out in the Natomas region which someday will probably be under 15 to 20 feet of water when uh, the levee breaks. Another place where real estate developers probably shouldn't have gone ahead and built. But apparently the son of Sacramento City Councilman Robbie Waters arranged for a developer to swap permits for some homes out in that area, which apparently is illegal. According to the powers that be, he will be reprimanded. But as far as they could see, there was no malfeasance which means I think we need to go to the dictionary and look up malfeasance. We're keen to follow up on that story, but not today. Anyway, speaking of Chamber of Commerce types, I'd like to quote from the president and CEO of the Sacramento Metro Chamber of Commerce, Matthew Mahood, who in a special to the B last Sunday trotted out the usual blah, 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 blah about how solutions must be found to our problem with the water issues of the Delta. In fact, the CEO chamber president wrote, Delta solution must strike a balance. Noted in the second paragraph that the Delta crisis now threatens California's future economic prosperity. Yes, it does. Management strategies coupled with increasingly stringent regulatory restrictions and court decisions regarding water flows for wildlife have exacerbated this crisis. Well, yes, sir, they probably have. There's only so much water to go around. It has been more than 40 years since California's leaders have made bold investments in statewide and regional water supply infrastructure necessary to sustain a world-class economy. He's referring, of course, to the Edward G. Brown Sr. Aqueduct, which (laughs) takes large quantities of water and sends it to corporate farmers in the San Joaquin Valley and the metro area of Southern California. He goes on, Meanwhile, our state population and agricultural production have risen to meet the increased demand for food to feed our population with the assistance of Delta water. He goes on to advocate that the restoring of the Delta must be done swiftly and in a fair and comprehensive manner. He then goes on to not explain what he means by restoring the Delta. In fact, 
All the advocates of sticking a much bigger straw into the Delta and sucking more water south talk about restoring the Delta without ever at any point explaining how you can possibly restore the region by removing more of its water supply. We continue to ask these folks how you can do that. We're still waiting for an answer, and I think we're going to be waiting for a long time. And speaking of throwing dollars away on harebrained projects, let's talk about the casino industry. Curious article by Peter Hecht in the Sacramento Bee on the 18th of this month. Noted how our four local Indian casinos in the Sacramento Davis area, whose names actually I won't mention, I don't want to give them publicity, are doing what they can to keep their loyal patrons <laughs> mesmerized and plunking money in front of the one armed bandits that uh, <laughs> make these folks jillions of dollars. Showed a picture of one of the casino hosts delivering coffee <laughs> to a woman who's a, a regular at the casino. Said the host, I try not to say no to anything, as he cultivates treasured gamblers with perks that include concert tickets and home delivery of fine cigars. Apparently his duties include chasing down a pack of smokes for someone who doesn't want to step away from his favorite, his or her favorite slot machine. And they go on to quote some apparent gambling addicts, <laughs> the mainstay of these organizations. Noted one guy apparently got a, a rewards card for accumulating 200,000 points in six months, which means she bet the equivalent of $200,000, including winning and losing bets and bonus credits for free slot play. Of course, when you have a rewards card, all of your transactions are then monitored, and they can basically do what they can to market to you directly, knowing your desires. So if you're an Elvis fan, for example, you, you may be offered some commemorative Elvis Presley plates. Article noted they were offering up exactly those, and apparently in the weeks to come, uh, some of these card holders can cash in their points for some Johnny Cash and Michael Jackson commemorative plates. But apparently these hardcore gambling addicts are proud of what they've earned. Quoting one, uh, one of these gambling addicts, so the article said that, uh, uh, quote one is saying, each and every one of us were entry-level players. We didn't just walk in the door and get our platinum cards. We earned our platinum cards. Apparently, so far as we can tell, by <laughs> losing large sums of money. This is fascinating stuff, though. They can monitor your play at computer consoles. If they notice you're, you're on a big losing streak, <laughs> they'll actually send a guy out to give you some coupons. I've never understood the casino phenomenon. Took a motorcycle ride a couple weeks back up into western Nevada and spent the night in one because it was the only lodging for miles around. And I must say, they certainly stink and they have entertainment offered up that's, well, say questionable. I don't know. If you, if you spend an awful lot of time in casinos, folks, I would suggest you seek professional help. Gambling is a true addiction like so many others, and it uh, causes people to lose their savings. Studies have shown the only way it benefits a local economy is to import people from elsewhere and fleece them. Because when you lost all your money inside of a slot machine, you then may have to go on welfare. Anyway, on a, a more serious note, an uh, excellent article by Kevin G. Hall, actually on the very same page that talked about the casinos, talked about how Moody's Investor Service, whose investment ra ratings were widely trusted, um, 
responded to the housing market collapse in late 2007 by purging analysts and executives who had warned of trouble and promoted those who helped Wall Street plunge the country into its worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. An investigation by McClatchy has found that Moody's punished executives who questioned why the company was risking its reputation by putting its profits ahead of providing trustworthy ratings for investment offerings. Instead, Moody's promoted executives who headed its structured finance division, which assisted Wall Street in packaging loans into securities for sale to investors. It also stacked its compliance department with people who awarded the highest ratings to pools of mortgages that soon were downgraded to junk. You know these products by their name they've now taken on, which is Toxic Assets. Apparently, the Moody's vice president for corporate communications sent an email to McClatchy newspaper saying, Moody's has rigorous standards in place to protect the integrity of ratings from commercial considerations. And, and thank God for that. <laughs> Imagine how they would have done if they didn't have such rigorous standards. Article Insiders, based on numerous interviews with McClatchy, said that wasn't true before the financial meltdown. Anyway, we hope to see some guys perp-walked in cuffs based on this behavior, but uh, it may not happen. And please do yourself a favor. If you were not watching PBS on Tuesday night and did not see the Frontline special titled The Warning, go on the web and check it out. Apparently it's available for viewing. And I would suggest that you may want to check it out. It was an awfully good special about, um, well, about how a would-be hero of the story of some of our current economic woes, a woman named Brooksley Bourne, who headed the Commodities Futures Trading Commission back in the 1990s, uh, took a look around and said, boy, some of this stuff needs better regulation or we may face a financial meltdown. She took a look at what the special called the dark market of over-the-counter derivatives, which it turned out were unregulated contracts that were not traded on exchanges and (laughs) were not required to have any records or reports. They were functioning beyond uh, any form of control and acted basically like black boxes. You put money in, you got a return out. Hello, Bernie Madoff. Oddly enough, our respected financial institutions, our big banks, instead of taking a look at this and saying, hmm, (laughs) doesn't pass the smell test, instead lined up around the block to get in on the deal. Brooksley Bourne saw in these derivatives the possibility for fraud and consider that that was the precise domain of the CFTC, Commodities Futures Trading Commission, and stepped forward to try and get some regulation in place. She was promptly rolled by Alan Greenspan and uh, some of the people, unfortunately, now working for Barack Obama to make sure that didn't happen. In a review of this special by Cynthia Fuchs, writing for Pop Matters Film and TV, Ayn Rand was quoted from a Mike Wallace interview back in 1959 when she said, I'm opposed to all forms of control. I am for an absolute laissez-faire economy, for the separation of state and economics. And while no doubt overregulation has a major downside, this does seem to be a rather uh, extreme position to take. Unfortunately for uh, the U.S. economy, Alan Greenspan the head of the Federal Reserve for so many years, was a true blue Ayn Rand devotee. When regulators were saying in the 90s, well, we need to regulate some possible fraud here in these uh, 
over-the-counter derivatives. Apparently, Greenspan said, no, no, let's let the market take care of it, which caused Berkeley Boyne and others to sort of ask, wait, fraud? <laughs> let the market take care of fraud? Well, Greenspan apparently thought so at the time. Anyway, I, I can't even begin to do this excellent documentary justice. You need to see it yourself, and I hope you do. It is interesting to note that Alan Greenspan himself and one of the people prominently featured in the program, Arthur Levitt, who was the Securities Exchange Chairman from 1993 to 2001, have now said, well, it looks like we were wrong. Well, better late than never, we always say. And by the way, if you do find yourself on a large ocean liner in a field of icebergs, here's another tip. Don't speed up. Not for nothing that they call economics the dismal science. But one final item, and again, we're going to go to McClatchy for this one. Personal finance column by Claudia Buck, last Sunday's Sacramento Bee, noted that uh, given that Wall Street's trying to pump up investors right now and folks are eager to recoup their losses from last year's market plunge, well, uh, you know, with the Dow going up, people are thinking, well, maybe it's time to get back in. Personal finance uh, commentator Claudia Buck said, well, Don't take the leap with your eyes closed. Investment fraud is always out there. Noting that in the Sacramento region, the FBI's white-collar crime unit is backlogged with 40 or 50 investment fraud cases involving thousands of investors all tied to our recent market meltdown. She notes you could be next. People need to be aware that there are many, many Madoff schemes out there and suggest wisely that before you sign up with any investment professional, check to be sure they're licensed, and that the products they're selling are registered. I was curious to note in an article in in Sacramento Magazine recently talking about ex-local bloviator Tom Sullivan, who's now on a much bigger stage in New York. Article by R.E. Graswich said, he knows what he's talking about. I don't know. I don't listen to Tom Sullivan a lot, but I noted that whenever I heard his hot air emanating from the radio speaker... He seemed pretty high on things like hedge funds. I don't recall him having any warnings about an impending meltdown. And uh, Jim Cramer, the guy who does that Mad Money show on, I guess it's, was it CNN? I don't know, Fox, I'm not sure. Anyway, he seemed to have completely missed the boat on this too. He was very high on the market right before it crashed and was very down on things after they had found themselves down in the ravine which I I guess is embracing a new kind of economic philosophy. Buy high, sell low. But anyway, we we do like that idea. Before you sign up with a financial investor, check them out. Apparently some good websites to do this with are the Financial Investment Regulatory Authority, F-I-N-R-A, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, or the California State Securities Regulator. You apparently can't look up individuals or firms to check their licensing and history of complaints and compliance. And, and by the way, just because uh, you know some friendly guy in your church or synagogue and he's got something that he's selling, uh, don't, don't drop your guard. That's how Bernie Madoff burned a lot of people. We're overdue for a break, frankly, <laughs> so let's take one. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Mr. Greenspan, yes. give us a clue. <laughs> we buy our stocks based on the things that you do. <laughs> you scratch your butt, so we're now surmising. The stock on preparation age is rising. Greenspan, <laughs> we heard you sneeze. 
Indicators based on thermal build acquisition of durable products show moderate rise in supply and fall in demand for dry goods this year. I am so smart when I'm speaking freely. I explain the global ramifications of the economic sanctions on emerging markets versus expanding market like I'm speaking.